partner from way back. Uh, this is a part two. Uh, we kind of go into the second phase of Sons of Intellect Days, which was our group that we had uh, back in the late 90s. Also, um, the conversation went so well that I decided to reach out to one of the guys that was at one of the situations that we talk about in this uh, podcast, uh, a guy by the name of Jeff Adams. I got him on the phone at the end of this podcast to check that out. And I also put one of the songs um, from the Sons of Intellect album on the end of this podcast. If you would like to get the whole thing, please become a Patreon, a patron at patreon.com forward slash KJ52. There is a ton of unreleased music there. Or if you ever need feedback on your music, uh, I do demo reviews and things like that. Uh, also, if you are listening to this, please make sure you rate, subscribe in iTunes. Uh, it helps me move up the charts. And uh, yeah, love you guys. Oh, yeah, and support my Kickstarter for my movie. Anyway, that's it. Thank you, guys. Love y'all. Deuces. What's up, everybody? KG52 here in the midst of getting my hair cut with none other than Golden Child, a.k.a. Jack Marlowe. This is episode number eight, part two of the KJ52 Sons of Intellect era days. You're going to hear buzzing in the background. It's not a bunch of bees. It's my man shaping me up. It's clipping. Uh, So I don't know where, where should we pick up, bro? Where should we pick up from? We were talking about how the album, right before we we did the album. Yeah, right before. we. I don't even think we touched on the single. I think we had stopped it at, um, man, the, the T-Bone show and then Southeastern. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, for those that don't know, before I was solo, um, I was solo. <laughs> 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 but uh, as we talked about in the first uh, episode, um, this 13-year-old kid walked up to me in the middle of a parking lot, just come off the head like nobody I'd ever seen before. And so I kind of started picking him up, taking him out as like a hype man. Um, so it was, I don't know what you call it, it was King J. Mack and, and the Golden Child? I don't know. Something like that. But uh, I went off to Bible College, and that's where I formed Sons of Intellect with a guy in Bible College, really just as a name to... Um, for our student ministry <laughs> there was yeah. nothing spiritual about it i made it up in chapel trying not to pass out anyway came back from that i started working uh at this church cornerstone church and um golden child aka jack had been kind of really growing artistically i felt like and did you get a drum a drum yeah, machine you had talked about that in the last interview i had um, you did get a drum i machine? had a drum machine and a sampler and we had touched on making beats, and then we had talked about your transition to KJ52. Right, that's, that's right. That's right. Okay. So he gets this little drum machine and a, it was like a three second sampler? Uh, 30 seconds on mono, 15 on stereo. <laughs> whoop, whoop. That's, uh, it's funny. It's funny when you think about when you work with limited equipment, how it really forces you to be that much more creative. You know what I mean? I think that's one of the beauties of hip hop is that, you know, you look at the culture itself as, you know, when when young black and Hispanic kids had nothing to make music on, they said, well, we'll just take the break beats and we'll make music. And when they had no, you know, musical training, they figured out how to put talking over beats. You know what I mean? And when B-Boys had no place to dance, they said, well, we'll bust out the cardboard. Mm-hmm. And we'll make that our dance floor. And when, when guys had no place to do their art, they said, well, we'll turn these spray cans um, into paintbrushes. 
I think that's sort of the beauty of hip hop. It's really the beauty of minority people in the sense of black and black, black and brown people who were handed nothing and made something out of nothing. If you think about that, but I digress. Anyway, I, I was just thinking about how you only had a you know a thirty second sampler that, if I'm not mistaken, didn't it like not it wouldn't sync up with the drum machine. Um, the the MIDI time code on it and the SMPTE codes were off, so the, the, <laughs> the loop. The loop on it was not how like like an Akai would work or like a SP12 or um, um, what was the the MPC MPC and there was another one. was it S- SP1200 SP1200 yeah yeah I think about Technique 12 uh, yeah SP1200 those the looping on that was almost impeccable the looping on this sampler was not it was like a rolling I don't remember the number of it but the looping just wasn't there so I remember when we started making beats you'd have to play it we'd have to press the loop pad. The yeah, entire beat. The entire beat. And so if you wanted breakdowns, you had to <laughs> you didn't not press it. <laughs> not press it. Yet. <laughs> well, so let me let me explain that in layman's terms so people don't understand like tech speak. So when you sample something, be it a you know a sound or whatever, you have to make it a perfect loop so it repeats correctly. If it's not looped properly, then it will come back in off beat and then it will throw your whole song off. So what he's talking about is the fact that this thing would not sample it correctly <laughs> it would sample correctly it wouldn't loop correctly it wouldn't loop it correctly it chop at a certain point yeah it would always be a millisecond off at the loop point which would make the loop go off beat within four to eight bars so essentially what you'd had to do is keep pressing the button almost like a you know someone who would who would play an instrument you'd have to keep by hand pressing the loop over and over and over and over throughout the whole song so you gotta think you gotta keep doing this over and over yeah until until your fingers hurt and that's pretty much how we made the first album. <laughs> yeah. So uh, for those that don't know, um, if you uh, pledge to the new documentary, you will get this record, the uh, Insightful Comprehensions record. And I always kind of look back and go, man, it's amazing that a 16-year-old kid... Were you 16? 15? Uh, yeah, I was 16 at that point. A 16-year-old kid had the, the wherewithal to, you know, to essentially find... The loops, the samples, to find the tracks, to program the drums. I mean, that's that's pretty, I don't know, what would you say? That's pretty ahead of your time. Uh, yeah, I mean, you or, know, you ask me now, and I go back and listen to those beats, they were pretty basic. It was drums, bass line, and samples, but um, at the time, yeah, we did what we did. It was cool. So this all brings us to the point where, so the groundwork had been kind of laid to start working on you know, the first project, and um, I had been uh, already going to the studio locally in Fort Myers for a while, and they would give me sort of free sessions if I worked with their students, allow their students to kind of work on the songs, and so that kind of became like a an impetus for us to like try out new tracks and try out new songs and stuff like that, and from that point on, we um, we actually, instead of making an album first, we decided to make a single, correct? Yeah which eventually became the most popular song on the record, which is a song called Worldwide. It's funny you say it, because here's the crazy thing about Worldwide. When I made that beat, I didn't have anything but my drum machine. I didn't have a sampler. And I actually used a 15-second looper on a DJ mixer. But the problem with that was you couldn't trim. So I had to try to catch the sample the best I could. (laughs) And the sample was off when we first wrote the song. And then we went to Unity Gain, 
Anthony had a real sampler and I brought in the original sample and we found uh, the trim points and looped it on his sampler and then I put the drums behind it with the drum machine and then after the single was when we had enough money to actually buy a sampler. Yeah. I vividly remember that. So so what happened basically was that we took the money that we made from those singles that we pressed up and uh, and put that towards the album. And I think kind of too around that time, I mean, this is, you're talking mid to late 90s. You know, Christian hip-hop was still very much a new thing in the sense of acceptance in the church and like, you know, as far as, you know, not even talking about the mainstream side of things because in the mainstream it was it was kind of a virtual unknown in my opinion. Um, but I, I think one thing to just really talk about on this time around is just like how... I felt like in a lot of ways we were beating down new paths as far as going into mainstream clubs and and opening up for groups that you know I grew up listening to, you know, within a couple of years I was opening I was the opening act. Yeah. Um and the first one of all this of all things would be the fact that we opened up for Wu-Tang Clan. Yeah. In 90 what year was that? 96? 98. No, it wasn't ninety eight. It was, was definitely it was no. It was definitely. In fact, I wasn't. I was listed as King J Mac on that flyer That's because right. you, you were, we weren't even Sons of Intellect yet. Yeah, so it was ninety five, ninety six. Yeah, that sounds about right. So, like, for any show to come to Fort Myers, like Southwest Florida, was like one kind of mind blowing because nothing came through this area. I mean, stuff would come to Tampa, stuff would come to Orlando, stuff would come to Miami, but forget something to come to my to Fort Myers of all places, much less Wu Tang, which. At the time, was you know they were everything. Yeah, and that was definitely your favorite group. Oh yeah, and I'll never forget this show because it was just the absolute train wreck of a oh, nightmare. Yeah. Uh, I actually almost got uh, beat down uh, pretty severely. Um, you ended up getting a Heineken offered to you by one oh, of God. the by the one of the, <laughs> by one of the Wu Tang members. Yeah. Uh, what else happened? The Wu Tang, uh, they never performed. One of the guys got up there. They booed him off the stage, which I, I was like, that sums up our town. You bring in an artist and then you boo him off the stage. Yeah. And then there was a uh, a very young, unknown mystical. Yep. Mystical he he opened up. Show. He opened up. DJ uh, Uncle Luke. DJ no Uncle Al. Uncle was it Uncle Al. Uncle, Uncle Al. Uncle Luke? No no no. Luke is two live crew. DJ Uncle Al. Oh okay. And then JT Money too many uncles. before yeah too many uncles, <laughs> but do do you remember that night? Well, I do remember that night very well. So you're you're a little sixteen year old. Were you sixteen? Yeah, fifteen. Well, if it, if, it, if it was ninety six, I was fifteen. That sounds about right. So yeah. basically, I got I got with the promoter. He put me on the flyer. He spelled my name wrong. I'll never forget this. I got to find that flyer. I'm going to put it up on the podcast. I'm find it. Instead of being King J Mac on the flyer, I was Kim G Mech. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was Kim G. I was I was an Asian man apparently. Kim, Kim G. G. Uh, but anyway, I'm trying to keep with that Wu Tang theme. Right. So I remember we got to the show. I got there super early for sound check, and the sound wasn't even there. Like the sound yep. system hadn't even been set up. Yep. People were outside, ready to come in, and they were still setting up the sound system. Yep, I remember that. And um, so we were just hanging out. And it was just such a weird vibe. It was in the Armory, which was kind of like this big, empty building. Yep. And I felt like... Wonderful acoustics. It just felt like... <laughs> it felt like such chaos, that show. Like, there was no backstage. There was just like a little spot that they had blocked off. So, 
everybody was irritated to begin with because one, they had never, you know, the show didn't start on time. Then the opening acts just kept going longer and longer and longer. I remember being. I remember we went on. I think we only did one song. I think we were we were the exact first group, and I I don't think it was like a bad reception, but wasn't a great reception either. It was just kind of like, all right, they just kind of tolerated us. (laughs) Would you say we were probably the only white guys in the whole place? Oh yeah. (laughs) Oh yeah. I think I think people don't understand how segregated hip hop was at one point, especially in the South. Like, to be yeah. two white guys doing Christian rap of all things in those environments is like you stuck out like nobody's business, and that was also you stuck a, out like a white Christian rapper at a hip hop show. Exactly, <laughs> but I think also too like it's funny because I think people also forget how you know at the height of the '90s was the time when five percent. Oh, yeah. Speak was super popular, and for those who don't know what Five Percenters are, it was an offshoot from the Nation of Islam, which is an offshoot from Islam itself. But Five Percenters basically believe that the black man is God, the white man is devil, and yeah, yeah, exactly. So that's literally the environment we were stepping into. Where and the crazy thing is, Wu Tang was like the spearhead in the mainstream of that. Like right, they, that was their. They were gods. Like the literal guy that Jack ends up hanging out with, his actual rap name was You God. Yep. <laughs> Hey, he's a god. So, just to kind of paint the picture a little bit about. It. So this this kind of leads up to the moment when I almost caught a beatdown backstage, and I I don't know. In hindsight, I don't know what possessed me to think that I would should have jumped in that cipher. And for those that don't know what a cipher is, I mean, when MCs would rappers would huddle up in a circle, they would spit rhymes at each other, and it was called a cipher, which actually really came from Five Percent Talk. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember just looking and seeing about ten dreadlocked rap guys ciphering and rhyming, and we, you know we came from a pretty friendly environment where you know it was common to everybody that spits gets a chance to rhyme, and and that's just you know that's the way MCs related to each other. So I think in my head I thought, oh, this shouldn't be any different. Yeah. So I I never forget this because it's. It, it really was a good picture of the way things were at that point. Is I jumped in and I started rapping, and I think within 10 seconds of me rhyming, it was like all 10 of those guys just turned on me. Yep. <laughs> were you there for that? I was there for that, yeah, I remember that. Were you like, I, I, was, I always thought you were like far off somewhere. No, I was right, we stuck around, we stuck around each other the whole night because you didn't want me really going, because I was 15. Right. You didn't really want me going anywhere because there was alcohol in the club. Not that I would drink, but... It was not really a place for a 15-year-old. It was, right. it was a 21 and up show. Right. Well, okay, so maybe you can picture, paint the picture better than I can because for me it happened so fast. It was quick. But the thing was I had the same thought of you. Like th- this is the common language in hip-hop. Like, okay, you may prejudge us, but once we, we come off the head, because I was actually going to rap right after you, and then when I saw it go south, I'm like, I guess I'm not rapping. <laughs> really? Yeah. I always I didn't realize you were that I was close standing by. Right there, yeah. I was right well, I mean you were in the cipher, but I was like right behind you to your to your left. Okay. Yeah. So what do you remember of that of what happened? It just I don't think it was anything you really said. I, I genuinely think it was just your skin tone and, and the gall to actually step up in this cipher because it was really a bunch of rappers that just kinda came there with the with the groups that were booked. Right. You know what I mean? It was like so you know, it was probably some people that are cool with Wu-Tang or whoever else was there and they're doing their cypher thing and who the heck's this white guy trying to rap with us. Right. Yeah. So what I remember clearly was 
as fast as it happened, they had me all up against the wall. Yeah. And I remember my back was against the wall, and I couldn't, I couldn't go anywhere. And guys were within, you know, a foot of my face, almost like scream rapping at me. Yeah. And but it, I, it, it was, it was like I've never had something go that south. That well, I just, yes, I have. Well, the reason why I remember it so vividly is because we were about three feet away from the wall, and the doors to the stage were to the left. Right. So. I remember because immediately when they started rushing, you pushed me out of the way. I did? Yes, you got me right out of the way. And I remember the whole time you had your hand on my arm, like, like don't go nowhere, almost like, like a big brother type thing. And I'll never forget it because I'm watching these guys, and the whole time you're staring them down and rapping, and you got your arm on me like, just stay right there. It's going to be all right. It was weird, dude. See, I don't remember that at all. Yeah. I, that's funny that you, wow. Yeah, I remember that very vividly. <laughs> So I remember just thinking, okay, I'm about to get hit. Like someone's either going to sock me in the face or all five of these guys are going to start, you know, they're going to get me on the ground and it's going to go from just rapping. It's going to go from just rap stuff to like beef to, to, beef. to actual physical um, confrontation. And I remember, I think the only thing I remember in my head just saying, don't instigate further, but also don't back down. Yeah, and I I remember it was my back was against the wall, and obviously I couldn't go anywhere. And it's like that adrenaline kicks in, and your fight or flight comes on, mm-hmm. you know. And I'll never forget as fast as it happened, was literally as fast as it was over. Yeah, and it was just like everybody just turned around and walked away. Yep, you know. But I remember I remember so clearly hearing over and over, yeah, we disrespected that devil. Over and over. I, so yeah. the thing I kept hearing as yeah. they, and I, and I just kind of sat there, and I remember kind of looking to my right, and there was just some guy sitting there, and he's like, you need to go, bro. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. But we didn't leave, did we? I know we didn't no, leave. We didn't leave because I think we went to the back of the room. we went back inside, Polo was there. Really? Yeah, and we kicked it with Polo the rest of the show. But because... I, I remember, I kind of remember vividly at that point going, you know, I don't think I'm going to hang backstage anymore. Yeah. And I remember we kind of went to the other side of the room where the bathrooms were. Yeah. And that was when Capadonna and you God, I remember they were like, they either went to the bathroom or one of them was there. And I remember at, asking, so somebody was up there rapping. I remember asking you God, like, what do you think of that group? And he just went thumbs down. Yeah. Like that. Where was, I? okay, so, but I remember you did disappear at one point and then you came back and you're like, dude, I just, I just freestyled with you, God. Yeah. When did that happen? Because I don't remember. That happened, that happened prior to the other cipher. Okay. Because he hadn't gone on yet. Okay. And he was just Like, back how there. did that happen? Like, well, how? Him and, him, and, him and Cap were rapping, so I just was like, yo, I was one of the openers and I just spit a, spit a freestyle and I was like, oh, okay, cool. Like, it was just, it was a totally different vibe. Wow. Because. Here's the thing I found out with those guys. Like, they perpetuated that 5% stuff, but they right. still realized they had fans right. in every single right. color and creed. That's what I always thought was interesting. So many of the, the, the really hardcore 5%ers who you would think would just, like, want to shoot on site when you were a white guy in hip-hop weren't always like that. They could actually, like, if you could come on some commonality of just music... Yeah, they'd listen to you. They would, like, there was a degree of, like... Yeah, I always was a little confused. I, but then again, they always left me confused because yeah. they, they would smoke weed constantly, but then they'd be like, no pork. Yeah. 
One thing I found interesting is when he met Polo, he was like um, kind of toying with the idea of becoming a five percenter. Really? But he told me like prior to his death that our influence on him, he, he kept his Christianity. I mean, to the extent of what she, what he did, but right. it made him realize. It, I love that dude. I miss yeah. Polo a lot. Um, that's a whole other. That's a, well. So okay, let me let's also clarify what he's talking about. There's a, there was a local guy at the time. Uh, his name was Polo, and he ran a magazine. And yeah, and he actually gave us a lot of really good looks. And so, if you've watched any of the battle footage that I've been posting on my Instagram, um, that whole battle was actually while this guy was in the hospital. And I think we did it. Didn't they do the battle to raise money for yes, him? It was to raise money for his hospital for bills, his, for his, his hospital bills and his cancers yeah. and stuff. So he was an interesting guy because he was kind of like a former church guy who then just got really into the hip hop scene, but always gave us a lot of really good looks. You know. And he's from Brooklyn. Was he? Yeah. Yeah, I think I remember his brother used to come to First Assembly. Yeah. Something like that. But anyway, I digress. So anyway, so that Wu Tang show was sort of a hit or miss um, in a lot of ways, you know, because on one hand it was like we came, we saw, we didn't conquer, but we at least <laughs> survived. Yeah, the beef wasn't with the crowd; it was with the five percent of backstage. But the funny thing I noticed about the show was that again, so the crowd keeps thinning out as the night progresses, you know, and by the time Wu Tang was supposed to get up there none of them got up there except you god except you god and want to get on stage it was whack right and so the crowd i think at that point was pretty ticked what was left of them and i'll never forget this and it kind of made me realize like anybody that thinks the secular market is like so much better it's not it's not it's it's a hot mess because he gets up there He's like telling the guy to play his tracks. The guy doesn't know how to run his tracks properly. Nothing's playing. So he starts to kick an acapella. Oh, yes. And then, and so me as an MC and a lyricist, it was like, yo, I want to hear what this guy has to say. And immediately the boo birds came out. Yep. Like, and, and I just watched them boo the headliner right off the stage. Yep. And I never forget, I mean, he cussed the crowd out. He threw the mic down on the ground. And it, mm-hmm. the show was done. That was it. That was it. Yep. And I thought, this is the most disappointing mainstream show I've ever been to. Well, the, the reason... Do you remember this? The main issue with the night was uh, the flyer... The billing for the concert was that's right. ODB. ODB, that's and right. And then he couldn't make it because he was arrested. Right. So they sent four Wu-Tang members in place of ODB. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. I, I thought I thought you said they didn't want to go play because they didn't like the way they were dressed. <laughs> no, they, they didn't want to go play because they thought it was whack. But Got it. they sent four members because at that time... Um, you know, 36 Chambers, the, dir- the dirty version, Escape from Brooklyn Zoo, was, like, right. at the top of the charts. Right. So they're like, well, man, you know, we got the top of the chart. We had to send more members. So right. for the same price as ODB, they got four Wu-Tang members, but it just didn't go very well. And, and I think, too, it helped to clarify, you know, this we're in, like, the deep south, okay? Yeah. So this is Florida south, which is a completely different south. So, like, East Coast rap did not translate to uh, to. F- Fort Myers, it translated to skater kids uh, yeah. and, like, mostly white suburban kids, but it's not like hood dudes were bumping. Yeah, yeah. They weren't bumping Wu-Tang like they would be bumping JT Money or Mystical. Well, because, yeah, that was the thing. Even though Mystical wasn't the headliner, right. the crowd loved it. Because, yeah. here I go. Doom, doom, doom. Here I go. He actually, it's funny, too, because out of all the people that played, he actually put on the best show. I remember watching him and going, yeah. like, I don't even know anything except for here I go. But the guy, he like. He actually shook your hand when you got off stage. I remember that. Did he? Yeah. See, I don't Because we were, I think we were, like, one of the only openers, and he was standing there, and he, he gave you your props. See, I, again, I'm. 
What you remember versus what I remember is like two completely different. I was so wide-eyed then, man. Like it was like. I think I was just making. Okay, I got to make sure Jack doesn't smoke weed or get beat up. That's the main two goals of my night, and then I'm the one who almost gets beat up. Yeah. (laughs) But then I I couldn't believe how fast the show was over. Like just that fast, they boot him off the stage. They turned on the lights, and it was done. Yep. And I thought... And the sheriff's department had to disperse everything. Right, and because, and, I mean, it was darn near ready. People were ready to riot in a lot of ways. And I remember thinking, like, who pays money to go to a show and boo the headliner? But then I was like, wait a minute, I don't think, I don't think they really even like the headliner. You know, Wu-Tang. And that's when I, I was like, man, we really got... That's when I started to think, because of, like, two white East Coast rapping Christian rap kids... I was like, we got a really uphill battle, yeah. you know. Yeah. But it wasn't discouraging enough to me to like to go. I just want to give up. And then, uh, what was the next? What was the next big like mainstream show we did? Was it the? Was it the Mob Deep stuff or was it the 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 Beat Nuts in Miami? Um, I think all that stuff came after the Dan Terrier stuff. I thought I think the, so. I thought Das Effects and Rob Bass shows were before because it was the same promoter for the Outcast and Lil Kim and Mob Deep and all those shows. No, that was a different promoter. It was a different promoter. Yeah, because uh, it was the uh, Seminole Indian Reservation. That's who brought in Mob Deep and all those yeah. shows. That's what I was saying. All those shows were the same. The oh same yeah. Promoter. Right. Where the Dan Terrier show was someone else. Right. I don't, I don't, and then, you know, the NFL show in Miami where we met Chino XL. That was crazy. You know what? It, We're just skipping around. I know. I, it's all a blur. It's hard to know which is which. But you know, it's funny. Somebody asked me the other day about Eminem. They're like, they were on this, like, they were like, oh, you, you must have set out to, like, copy him. You're a carbon copy. Yeah. And I was like, no. I knew about him before you knew about him. Yeah. And. We met one of his DJs. Was it his DJ? Yeah, Cypher had... Or was Cypher a friend with his DJ? No, we met AL from the Beat Nuts. We, yes, because that's how we did it, though. Cypher was... DJ, DJ Cypher Sounds was DJing for AL. And that's why we even... No, no, no. AL, was, AL was, was South Beach. You're thinking... We met Cypher Sounds at the shows out so in the, the swamp. So the South Beach show was the, the NFA? The, yes. Yes, okay. Yes. Gotcha. So let me explain. So basically, like, at that time, I would... You know, the internet was still just kind of starting to pop. So I could go online and find upcoming shows just through the internet. And I'd be like, oh, so-and-so is going to play here in Miami. And I would just call, cold call the promoter and just harass them and go, hey, look, we're a local group. We want to open up. We don't want any money. Here's our music. You know, just give us an opportunity. And, man, through that, you know, we were op- able to open for Mob Deep. Tribe Called Quest, De La Soul, uh, Beat Nuts, and I remember that Beat Nuts show in South Beach. Like, I remember that one clearly because to play South Beach at the time was kind of a big deal. Yeah. Well, it still is a big deal, but you South know, Beach was, was just kind of coming around. We stayed at the Kent Hotel. That's right. And we, we were looking for a Bible, yes. and you called the front desk and said, hey, man, you guys got any Bibles? Why, you need rolling papers? Remember that? I remember that. Yeah, I forgot. You're right. I was like, really? I forgot my Bible, and I said, "Hey, do you have a like a like a Gideon's, a Gideon's Bible. Bible?" And the guy goes, "No, we don't stock the Bibles anymore. People cut them up and smoke the paper." <laughs> <laughs> that was a trip, dude. Like the yeah. thing, like I brought you all the way over to crazy South Beach. Yep. 
in the middle of that, I remember that was just such a weird. That was a wild, but I remember. That was a wild night, but she, we she wound up at we wound yeah we wound up at Khaled's radio station. Do you yes. remember this? Yes, I do. So for those everybody knows DJ Khaled now, but at the time Khaled was a radio yeah he was an underground he had an underground pirate radio station, and um, to promote the show that night at the club, he had all the openers go over and rhyme at Khaled's pirate radio station, which to me it was just a radio station. Yeah. I'll never forget this because we were rhyming with on the air with this guy by the name of AL who never really blew up, but you know he was he, on an Echo mixtape. Yeah, he was. Lounge. Yeah, really well respected in the underground. Yeah, and I I remember forget he leans over to me and he goes, "Yo, you're white, like you should check out this my boy Eminem," yeah. and I'm like. Immediately, I go into like white boy hater mode. I'm like, whatever, dude. Like, just because I'm a white guy, I gotta like the other white rappers, you know? Like, <laughs> like oh, you, you're white. You'll get along with this guy. And I'm like thinking in my head, like, whatever. And so he, I remember he quoted one of Eminem's lines. And this is pre Dr. Dre. This is like when he Slim Shady EP before he got his deal. And he quoted the line. He said, "I fell asleep with a beer, woke up with a kegger." Do you remember no, that? No, he said something like, I fell asleep with a beer, woke up with a keg, something about a peg leg, done that. Like, and, and like, he's rapping, I'm like, okay, I don't... I yeah, don't I was like, it. I remember in my head going, well, that kind of sucks. <laughs> yeah. I was like, that guy's never going to go anywhere. But then the one the one line he quoted us was when he said, you couldn't make the crowd throw up their hands and they swallowed... See, I don't remember fingers. him saying, they couldn't... I See, I didn't remember that. I, I just remember thinking like, well, a white guy from Detroit's not going to go anywhere. <laughs> Yeah. That's for sure. I remember driving home like Eminem. What kind of name is that? Right, we're like I'm gonna call myself Skittles. Remember right, that? it's just joking. yeah. So we were supposed to open up for Beat Nuts, who at the time had a big hit with "Watch Out Now," and they for some Which reason they became a Jennifer Lopez. Song. Right, but they they never for some reason they never showed up. Do you remember this? Yeah, they didn't show. And again, I'm like, what is the deal with these mainstream shows? Like, how do these guys operate? Like. So I remember we got up there, we rocked like a two songs or something like that, and I was thinking in my head, like, we just need to cut it short because people yeah. were just there to grind on each other and, yeah. and make some money. Yep. And I was kind of disappointed, and I think I said something on stage like, you know, we're not here to preach at nobody, but we're just here to let you know God loves you or something like that. And I remember some guy kind of pulling me aside like, yo, man, thank you for saying that. Yeah. You know, and I thought, this night was just a terrible waste of time. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then we looked over and then I remember you walked over to some guy in the club well he, he called me over right he was in the VIP section right he was the only one in the VIP section right and he called me over and I came back he was like yo you know who that is it was Chino XL and for those that don't know who Chino XL like he was very much like a super respected punchline heavy rap guy it was Eminem before Eminem right and you know he had, at the so time he had beef with Tupac and like you know he was definitely like I couldn't believe he was just sitting there in the club like 10 feet from us yeah. and I said to him I go what did he say to you do you remember that? I remember exactly. Okay, what did he say? What did he say? And it's weird. He goes, hey, man, he goes, y'all are really dope. He goes, and don't let anything ever break up your crew, man. Stay stay, stay as a crew. I remember that. Like He's like, y'all do your thing. It was dope. And then within a year, the group was yeah, which <laughs> was over with. The Prophet Chino XL, right? <laughs> so, again, it was it was an interesting time because, so, like, you know, to, to try and represent in those circles, it's it's a tough thing. And I realize, like, it's hard because people go to clubs to get drunk and to get to, to hook up. And so it's hard to be. So I thought maybe maybe our, our quote-unquote ministry should be to those that are behind the scenes. And I remember the promoter himself 
was like, yo, I went to a Christian school growing up, and like, you know, thank you for your music or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I just thought, you know, all the time we're, we're still sitting there, you know, we're doing church shows, but little by little these other doors are opening up. Well, do you remember what was the weird? I don't remember the promoter's name, but one thing that stuck out to me, do you remember how out of all the opening acts, he invited us to his house before the show. Well, there was, and his he, wife actually cooked us dinner. And yes, we ate there. And right, it was I remember. Really, it reminded me more of like doing a church show. It was really right. odd. Right. Yeah, you're right. Remember Absolutely, that? I totally remember. I remember he had a super dope crib. Yeah. And he wanted us to wear the shirts on stage. Yeah, and we did. No, we didn't. Uh, we didn't. No, because his 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 company was called No Effing Around NFA. Oh. And I was like, Yo, man, appreciate the shirt. I think it'd just be kind of weird if we wore that on stage. <laughs> Yeah, that's Christian. I do remember that. But I wore that junk when I got home. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no fooling around, bro. Yeah, no fooling. Yeah, yeah. Because if you just saw the logo, you wouldn't be like, "Oh, okay, I know what you're saying." But anyway, point is, um, so which leads me to probably one of the most. I don't want to say. I, I, for me, it was a philosophical change when this show happened because up to that point, and it's funny with the whole Christian rapper, rapper who's a Christian thing which is such a hot topic now. Mm-hmm. I remember at the time we were kind of wrestling with what that meant because we would constantly be asked like who are you? What do you do? How do you define yourself? And I think we were on some like we're just, you know, we're rappers who are Christians or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And we had this sort of philosophy was like get their respect first with skills and then you share your life with them. Yeah. That was our philosophy, which which leads me to the show that for me was a turning point, which was when we opened up for Tribe Called Quest. Mm-hmm. And I'm probably going to end this yeah, with this one. Talk, that should be its own podcast because that's a great one. But so I come and find that Tribe Called Quest is coming to Orlando. And in my head, I was like, yo, this is, this is a huge deal because one, I was a huge Tribe fan. But they were also coming off of Low End Theory and Midnight Marauders, and they had just put out Beats, Rhymes, and Life. Yep. And so this was like one of their first shows on the Beats, Rhymes, and Life tour. Yep. tour. And I remember reaching out to the club. It was called the Embassy. And the guy was like, yeah, you can open up. You'll be one of four opening acts. And he, I remember him saying, like, you, you know, Tribe won't play till later, and I remember was, wasn't DJ Shadow on the on the event too? Yeah, that was before he really blew up too. Blew up, yeah. So we get there, and um, we're backstage chilling or whatever, and this thing was, in hindsight, I sh- now that I had the experience to know, but I should have known that this thing was going to implode before it even happened. So the promoter says okay, this is the way it's got to go. He goes, you know, you guys perform for four, 30 minutes, then there's a 30-minute break. Then the next act performs for 30 minutes, and there's a 30-minute break. So he kept staggering all the acts, which is terrible. One, anybody that comes to see a headliner just doesn't want to sit through four opening acts that they don't know. Much less, they didn't, you know, this is one of the weird shows where they opened up at 7, and everybody was there at 7. Come to find out, like, Tribe wasn't going on until midnight. But they didn't tell the crowd this at all. So so this crowd's getting, like, more and more antsy. And instead of, like, them staggering the groups, 
everybody went back to back to back to back, and we were the last ones to go of all the openers. Really? Yeah. And the, I remember the promoter coming back, and he was freaking out, like, he's cussing out all the opening acts, like, and he goes and he goes, "You sons of intellect!" He's talking about us. He goes, "Y'all ain't going on for an hour." So the crowd just sits there mm-hmm. for an hour straight. No one's telling them what's going on. No one's saying, hey, guys, Tribe will be up in, at midnight. It's just that, and I remember the guy that went right before us, like, got a really bad reception. Mm-hmm. Remember him? Yep. He had, like, yodeling in his rap songs or something like that. The crowd was not feeling it. Didn't he throw flyers out in the crowd and they threw him back at him? Yep. <laughs> but we used to do this thing in our set where... Was, in my opinion, it was like super creative. It's like we would we would pretend to bring out fake turntables, just pantomiming it. Like there was no actual turntables, and so we would act like we were plugging it in and spinning and DJing while Jack would do the beatbox and I would pretend like I was cutting it up. So it was like I thought it was really creative. Like yeah, it was dope. And then we would rhyme over each other's beatboxes. So we had that in the set, you know, with the two opening songs, that, and then like another song, and I never forget. My man Jeff Adams, who was there hanging out backstage with us, who was a goofball to begin with. Remember when he told the guys that they couldn't wear hats on stage? Yeah. Because everyone <laughs> thought he was security because how tall he was. He came right out there. He came and hung up. He came and hung out with us. And the two, this two opening group, this one of this opening group was called the Warheads. And the guy would do, and they were they were really dope. But they would they were like super scary and like they wouldn't talk to nobody and they looked like they would just attack you and they were both like they both were like solid 250 pounds and the guy would do like this war cry on stage it's the weirdest thing I'd ever heard but it was it actually worked but anyway right before they go on he, Jeff is standing at the side of the stage and he goes hey guys you can't wear hats on stage we have a no hat policy <laughs> and they go the guy takes his hat off he's like oh man yeah, I remember that. Oh, and that's when I thought these dudes ain't as hard as they're trying to come off. Anyway, so I'll never forget. Jeff goes, "Don't do that beatbox on stage." He said that clearly. Yeah. He's like, "Don't do that. It's not gonna work." I'm like, "Man, you know what you're talking about. This thing kills everywhere we go." It's like the first two songs, they kind of put up with us. But well, what you don't remember? What? And I tell remember me. This very vividly because it was very upsetting to us. We didn't do any of our songs. Because for some reason, their DAT machine wasn't working. So you had a cassette really? tape with some old beats, and we just formatted our new songs to the old beats. I remember that because oh, I remember that. we had to go to the car and practice how we were going to do it to fit the beats that you had on tape. Mm. So we were rapping to like five-year-old beats, not even the stuff that we had recorded to. Mm. So we were already kind of off-put by that. Mm. Do you remember that? I do remember having to switch, but I didn't. I don't think they they were like my old King J Mac beats. Yes. So yeah. it wasn't the new stuff. You're right. But I think up to that point, like we our shows have been going so well. Yes. In yeah. my head, I think yeah. I got gassed. Like, oh, this will kill. You know it. Yeah. And they kind of, like everything was. We were just set up to fail. So again, yeah. the crowd sits there for an hour. Then the DJ starts just hyping up the crowd. Y'all ready for Tribe? He's like, y'all ready? Y'all ready for Tribe? And the crowd's like, yeah. And then he goes, okay, here's Sons of Intellect. Out come these two white dudes talking about Jesus on stage and like rapping over whatever. I don't even think the beats were the issue. I think it was just a combination of everything. And I just remember looking out in the crowd and like the first song ended, nobody clapped. It was like dead silence. And I was like, well, this isn't going the way I planned. Next song. 
We did the second song, and the crowd was just not responding. And I remember it was it was per, I think do you remember it was predominantly Puerto Rican, right? I remember the crowd was real heavy Boricua, and we went into the beatbox part, and I thought, well, this will win them over, right? Because this is real hip hop, and just like within thirty seconds of it, just this crap, this pocket of booze start happening. And then I just remembered the whole crowd turned. Yep. And everything that had been, like the guy that had put the stuff in the audience, he had thrown the, he had thrown the flyers into the audience, all that stuff started flying at us. Yep. And I'm like, I just remember, I'd never seen so much anger on people's faces. I'm like, well, because they wanted to see Tribe But I'm like, I just remember looking in the crowd and just seeing pure hatred on this crowd's face. Like, we, we will kill you. <laughs> And it was such a cathartic moment because I don't think at any time in my life I had ever been booed. Much less like that, where like you've got a thousand people telling you that you're the worst thing on the planet. And I remember going, all right, well, you got to, like, I remember thinking in my head, like, let's just cut our losses and let's just get off the stage, right? And I remember starting to walk off the stage and I got halfway to the, to the exit and I'm looking around and there's, Golden Child still standing on the stage, screaming back at the crowd. Yep. He's you were yelling at the. What did you say? Something like this is real hip hop. Like, Who wants to battle? This is real hip hop. Come up here and battle me. I battle you right now. <laughs> <laughs> and I just remember, like, up up to that point, they were booing. At that point, they were ready to kill you. Yeah. I like know. I remember hands being extended yeah. out of the crowd, like vis- visibly trying to squeeze your neck. Yeah. And I remember thinking, oh gosh, this is not what I. This just. This, like, just got really this just got really bad. I think didn't I come and just like grab you? You grab me. You actually picked me up. <laughs> and then finally, like, not that I was mad, but you were picking me up, and, and I was like, all right, man, I'll walk off. You're like, yeah, we, we don't need to be doing this. So we walked off. <laughs> it was just I was caught up in the moment because I think we both knew and saw what happened. It wasn't really us; it was the situation. Right. But it was like we were the whipping boys because nobody else had really gotten booed at that point. But we were like the culmination of the crowd's frustration. I mean, combined with the fact that, again, you know, it's not easy doing what we did. Like, we were the antithesis of everything that was going on in the industry. So it was like all that combined together. But, you know, to his credit, Jeff was right. We shouldn't have done that beatbox, you know. And I don't know why he saw that when we didn't. Maybe just because he was from Orlando or just he knew the crowd or maybe he saw what was happening. I don't know, but I remember it just, I mean, that was probably the lowest I think I'd ever felt, you know. Yeah, that was not a fun car ride home. But I remember just just literally, didn't, we came off the stage, and you didn't you tell me Consequence was there? Yeah, Consequence was there, yep. So, which is Q-Tip's cousin. Mm-hmm. I don't know why I remember him in blue sweatpants, but yep. he had blue, blue sweatpants. Blue sweatpants and a, bl- a white shirt and a blue hat. And what, what did he tell you? He, he said something to you. I don't remember. I remember. I remember that Q-Tip asked me for chicken. No, that was at the uh, other thing. The other thing. You told me Consequence said, "Don't worry about it. You guys yes. are dope." Yeah, don't worry about it. It, it. it happened to us before too. Right, but it didn't really like fix the sting because I thought this crowd is really hostile. Yeah. Like we could we could potentially get jumped. You know what I mean? And like, I think the. the the worst part about it is because we really wanted to stay and tech, check out Tribe. Right. We couldn't even go into the crowd now. Right, yeah, yeah. exactly. I remember it's like, we need to just go. Yep. 
And I remember we walked into the... I remember, the only thing I remember this really clearly is we walked in the parking lot. I say goodbye to Jeff. And some random girl comes up to me in the parking lot. She goes, you guys are Christians, aren't you? I'm like, yeah. She goes, you just made my night. She goes, I don't even have to see Tribe now. Do you remember this? No. I remember this so clearly. It was the only thing that gave me a little bit of strength to make it home. And um, in my head, I was like, you know what, dude? We're never going to be accepted. Like, we'll never be accepted. I remember you saying that to me when we got in the car. I was like, no matter what we do, no matter how good we are or are not, I was like, we are always going to be judged on the, on the color of our skin and the fact our, what our faith is. And I remember just being like, forget it. Like, it's just not going to happen. Because I remember somebody told me, they gave me like, they go, man, I've been praying for you, and I feel like God is telling you to cast your net on the other side. And I took that as saying, it's time for you to try and do some mainstream stuff. So I kept going, why is this happening? You know? And I remember thinking, well, I'm done. You know? And it was funny because literally, I, I think I called ambassador maybe I called somebody or maybe I didn't even call anybody but within a week I got a phone call and someone goes hey we're bringing in Mob Deep to Ybor City do you want to open up and I'm like I was so shook I was like yeah, exactly I was really shook because I thought in my head I'm like what if we go to Ybor City and we just get booed again and I remember making a very conscious decision going you know what from here on out We've we've got to be Jesus first out of our mouth. Do you remember me saying something like that? I was like I was like we have to be the first thing we say on that stage has to be. They went from the argument of we're rappers who are Christians like we're Christians who rap. It was a conscious decision. I said you know what from here on out I'm sick of getting booed and and almost beat up just for being white. I was like. I'd rather get booed and get beat up for being a believer. And the funny thing was, that was the first thing we said at the Mob Deep show. Do you remember that? And nothing happened. Nothing happened. I mean, it's not like we were a super huge slam dunk, but we never had the problems again. Never one time again did we ever get booed or did we get... And I realized, like, at that point, or maybe somebody told me, they were like, you've been trying to do this in your own yeah, ability. at that point, we were, we were no longer relying on hip-hop. We were relying on God. We like, on the philosophy of yeah. have skill first, and then that yeah. will open up the doors. It was yeah. like, nope. nope. Put, put Christ first and, and let, it, let the chips fall where they may. So anyway, we're going to stop right there. You know who was at that, that Mob Deep show? Who? And was not a believer? Who? G. Giovanni. The guy really? with, yep. And he remembered... No, you're thinking of you're thinking of the one he was at out in Immokalee. Not that one. Okay, This yeah. is the Tampa okay, one. Okay, you're right. We did it twice. My bad. Man, usually my memory is good. What the heck? It's probably the <laughs> Yeah, they all wore black, but... Anyway, but no, so that's what Jack is talking... He, he mentions that eventually we did do another show with Mob Deep, and one of the guys that became his rhyme partner years later was in the crowd. As not a believer. As not a believer, so... Funny how things go for so I'm gonna stop right here. I think we're gonna have to do a part three, bro. All right, man. Later. All right, what's up, y'all? Uh, I wanted to jump on the line with uh, with a homie by the name of Jeff Adams, um, who uh, was at that infamous tribe called Quest show, and I thought it'd be interesting to one get his perspective um, because you, sir, were like a voice of prophecy of what was gonna 
of what was going to happen. Um, but you were also sort of a, a detached third party that was kind of hanging out at the whole show. For those that don't know who Jeff Adams is, this is probably out of all the industry people I know, um, the one guy that I go as far back as my the beginning of my career. Um, he was in a rap group back in the day called DDC, uh, which were one of the first groups ever signed to you know, infamous Grape Tree Records. Um, he was also one of the only handful of Florida rappers in, in the state and one of the first guys I ever connected with. This goes all the way back to my King J. Mack days. And, um, you know, flash forward, he was super involved in the industry, uh, was very, uh, I don't know, very, very much the guy who helped Group One crew get out there amongst a ton of other people. Your, your resume is too long for me to list, sir, but I just want people to at least know your pedigree. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for so, that intro. Oh well, hey, I'm just trying to make you know, just trying to just trying to show show respect where respect is due. So, um, without any further talk on my end, describe you know that night and and you know why you were there or how you wound up there or or what you remember from that night. Go for it. I remember it was a dark, rainy, stormy night. <laughs> And I just remember that just something wasn't right in the air. Yeah. And so KJ called me and says, hey, we're opening up for Trap Call Quest. I said, well, I'll come on out. So I got in my car. I drove to the venue knowing something just wasn't right in the air. <laughs> are you and, being uh, sarcastic or do you, are you for real? Because <laughs> uh, you're not trying, Yoda, hey. okay? You don't have the force powers. <laughs> Maybe you do. Maybe I, I, I'm trying. I'm trying to make entertainment with the story. Oh, trying to got suck, it. Okay, suck, cool. suck your listeners. If there was in nothing, there. Well, you know, it's funny, man. I found my old planner, and I had written in the day that that show was. I just I was looking through stuff literally last night. And I found my planner. Turns out it was on Palm Sunday. Oh wow! I don't know if there's any sort of foreshadowing about that, but yeah, it was Palm Sunday. <laughs> was the day of that show, and uh, anyway, go ahead. I guess I would explain the palms thrown on stage. <laughs> if they would have had palms they would have chucked it at us that's for sure <laughs> so anyways uh i went to the venue and uh it was hanging backstage but there was like man i mean i guess I, back in the days these guys would just like stack the openers you know i mean the, the show started like at seven o'clock and you guys were opening right before tribe so at that point, everybody's showing up at seven o'clock. Thing tribe's going to be on stage, right? And, and um, you know, you say you had to go through all these openers. And I, and I remember one story that that uh, sticks out the most because I was just standing backstage because that that club actually became a Christian nightclub after that. I know. Yeah, so, we got to well, talk about that. We got to talk about that because there's a, an amazing story of what happens later, yeah, ten years later. But go ahead. Yeah, so I'm standing back there, and I'm messing the course. You know me, I'm a clown, so I have to mess with everybody. And uh, I just remember <clears throat> there was this hard guy. I guess they worked with Shaquille O'Neal. I can't remember their names. Um, Warheads. The Warheads, yeah. So one of the guys, they were acting all hard, you know, swagging to get up on stage. I was just standing there, and I guess he thought I worked at the club or something. I said, uh, "Sir, we have no we ha we have a no hat policy in the club." <laughs> and the guy, guy swagging goes, "Oh, oh!" And he takes his hat off real quick. And I, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. He goes, "Oh, dog!" And he puts it back on and hits the stage, and does some like like Indian war chant. Goes, "Yeah!" I'm like, yeah. "What in the world is this?" So at that point, I kind of know the crowd is getting restless. I mean, this is probably you know 11 o'clock at night, 
And uh, so anyways, you know, Golden Solid KJ were all pumped about this performance. And so, you know, I was, you know, from doing rap shows or whatever, and I go, Golden Child's all over my face. Check this out, dude. We're going to do this beatboxing. Check this out. Check this out. I was like, and they started doing it, and I just kind of looked at it, and I'm like, wait a minute. Um, I don't think you should do this. I mean, that crowd's kind of restless out there. I mean, they're they're ready for Tribe. I said, just get to what you need to get to and, and just hit it, you know, and just don't really talk. Just do what you do and get off that stage. They go, no, man, this beatbox is hot. This beatbox is hot. Yeah, so I go, all right. It's, you know, so I'm standing there, and I'm watching it from perspective. I knew something. It's just like, you know, you just have this vibe in the air, like, oh, my gosh, this is not going to go off too well. And because uh, I saw the, the, the crowd's reaction to what was going on. And I guess, you know, too, it's like when you have a whole night of stuff and you, you, you represent Jesus at that point. I mean, it's just like kind of going to, uh, you know, going to Gatorland and jumping into the uh, – the, the, the lake of gators <laughs> so the fact that you mentioned jesus and they did the beatbox and they're restless uh, wasn't a good combo and i just saw the faces and i just remember uh the the, the, the i guess it was just a rookie mistake i mean but i can't you can't go wrong with jesus name people are scared to say jesus name these days but you know kj didn't you know so when the crowd you know they started getting restless they started throwing cups at the stage and they got down the beatbox and all i remember is kj goes jesus is lord and like runs off the stage and, I said uh, that. Yes. <laughs> I see that. I don't remember saying that. I, I wow, that's funny. That um, I I but I you know yeah. that was such a blur, dude. When that happened, I you know you hear stories about people getting booed. It's not until you finally get. It's like hearing about a shark attack, and then all of a sudden you're in a shark attack. You know. Yes, yeah, so it's it's almost like uh, when you get booed, it's almost like the feeling of you're in an accident and it happens. Yeah. It, it's like in slow motion, but it's just like so traumatic at the same time. You're like, what is going on here? Well, you know, <laughs> yes. <laughs> you, you, you're, you're absolutely right. So you were, you were what stage you were like right at the stage entrance, right? Yeah. There's, I mean, it was weird. I mean, there's a stage, there was a back entrance to the stage where the green room was, I guess. Right. And then you walk up these stairs and then you, you walk on the stage behind the, the main stage there it was kind of a weird setup but yeah it was like a door it's like this little door right um but the, yeah i was i was standing there the whole night and i was watching the whole thing from the back of the stage and i was like wow okay this, this crowd is restless you know and i think even <laughs> though they, they treated they were pretty pissed at tribe too there for a while because they took so long because i remember really? I went to a show there yeah I, I went to a show there too that i guess it was the promoter there because i went to like I think it was like House of Pain's last show they did in Orlando. They didn't know it was, but like Limp Bizkit opened up, and he put all these openers, and and House of Pain didn't hit the stage till twelve thirty at night, and only played yeah. for like thirty five minutes. And I think people were getting ticked because they wanted they wanted their value. They go, I don't know anything about these openings, these opening yeah. bands. So, yeah. Man, I didn't know I shouted Jesus is Lord. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know I shouted that on the way out. I guess I, you know I was in such a probably trauma that uh that i i'm I, paul i'm paul jesus is lord <laughs> <laughs> no i don't thank you um so you know one thing when we were talking about um when we were talking about this trying to recollect it um was i i couldn't i i'm in hindsight i'm just trying again uh in hindsight how you saw what was going to happen before we did you know? Yeah. 
also, I'm impressed that you do a podcast and you multitask. You get coffee, you go, no, thank you. You go through drive through That's pretty impressive. <laughs> <laughs> multitask, bro. <laughs> um, I bring I bring the listener everywhere. Anywhere anywhere I'm going, you're coming with me. Um, but how, I mean, I, I you know what, but I'm saying, dude, how did you see that, that, that just that particular thing was going to, was going to bomb like that because in our heads we were like tribe equals real hip-hop you know what i'm saying so do the things that represent real hip-hop i.e beatboxing and creativity and scratching and stuff like that how how did you know that that was that out of all the things was not going to work well i think it was just a weird time in hip-hop in general i mean but i've always There's two there's two parts of that. I've always been a very discerning person. I don't know what yeah. it is like when the group one crew would do shows, and I would just say, "Hey man, you know, you might want to reel this in a little bit," because I felt that I felt like discerning, like I could feel the crowd, like, "Okay, this crowd is just not ready for this." And yeah. you know, and you and you know, doing these, you've done this for a very long time, and you know, like the opposition, you 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 come into like going to a church, like back in the day when. I mean, I get in fights with, uh, almost fights with people, like take your hat off in the church and you're standing on holy ground and, you know, yeah. take your your earrings out. And I dealt with all that stuff. So from a Christian yeah. perspective, I just always was kind of, these, you know, had these sermon about certain situations. Like, okay, guys, we better, you know, they're just very religious here. You know, they, you know, they're not sure about this. This is what we got to do. But even from a yeah. mainstream perspective, I always felt that. But, uh, you know, do you just, think- I, I, go ahead. No, I was gonna say, do you think our color, you know, being the only white guys on that stage, combined with, you know, our faith, do you think that worked against us, or was it just, you know, am I am I taking a martyr complex here, or was it just a combination of that plus the night was just yeah, what led up? it was yeah, it was a weird time, and I mean that was just a weird time in hip hop for being a white MC because a, you had you know the Vanilla Ice thing that was you know third base was beating Vanilla Ice to a pulp a little bit, you know, it was years after that. But at that time, like, alternative music was coming in, like, the Beastie Boys, like, left, it was kind of like they left hip-hop and they went alternative, yeah. which, uh, and then, so, to be a YMC, I mean, even House of Pain, they were the only ones still legitimately do it, and he had to feel like he had to go, like, this whole black urban thing to what he was doing. Yeah. Um, because there was a respecting, it was like, YMC's lost the respect because, you know, the YMC's tore each other down in the industry. And so there's really no respect there anymore. Uh, and then you add the the, the Jesus thing. Um, it just was, you know, because, you know, from a perspective, you go, oh, another white rapper again, because, you know, the industry, from the mainstream perspective, really commercialized white rappers. And then I think people right. got sick of it. Oh, another white rapper, great. And so the, yeah. the regular rap industry is like, dude, you know, these, these guys are busters, you know? <laughs> so as you look yeah. at it, that was... You know, that's what people's perspectives, you know, were. You weren't legit if you were a white MC, you know, and, and that yeah. sucked because you guys were dope. I mean, you guys could hold your own. And, uh, we, you know, but the fact the fact that you guys were into Jesus, too, didn't help matters either, you know? Right. Well, it's funny, too, because I remember here, – here's two things I remember. One, to play to an all-black crowd for us was always the ultimate challenge because of everything you just said. But we sort of seemed to find a degree of acceptance amongst – Puerto Ricans and Hispanics. And so I always kind of like, I hate to say it, but I would like cut my hair into a fade and grow a goatee and try to be tan because I could pass as Puerto Rican or Cuban a lot easier than (laughs) people being white. And I remember that crowd was predominantly Puerto Rican. And I, and I just remembered thinking, dang, even the Puerto Ricans hate us. Like, you know, like that's when I, when I was like, 
it was such a rock bottom point for me because I thought, well, at least we'll be accepted by Hispanics. And sure enough, Orlando was like, we hate you. And I remember you telling, do you remember the group, one of the guys that opened up before us? He had a rap, he had a, his album was called Cow Wars and it had a cow with a gun on the front cover. Oh, yeah, do you remember yeah. this guy? I remember him, yeah. He went I, on I, I, right before us and he was, he was a black guy with dreads, but he rapped and he had yodeling in his chorus. And I thought, this is the most oddest person I've ever met from a rap perspective. <laughs> And they kind of let him, they didn't boo him off the stage. I mean, I remember he wasn't, like, celebrated, but they just kind of put up with him. And well, you know. Tell me, go ahead. Well, this, I know it's all flashback now. I know, and that's the thing. This was, maybe the promoter set you guys up wrong, because I think after going through that guy, because I remember that guy's song, he had a song that goes, circle, circle, dot, dot. Now you get your cootie shot. <laughs> I think at that point, the guy's like, okay, enough, enough of this. Oh, now we got white guys talking about Jesus? Ah! (laughs) (laughs) But didn't you tell me you heard him on the radio, like, a couple months later, just bashing us for getting booed? I remember you saying this to me, like, a year later. You're like, dude, that guy was just, like, going in on y'all on the radio. Yeah, I mean, because I think uh, he was, like, in the scene, uh, Drew Garabo, was in Orlando. He was a talk radio show, but he'd always like support local acts. Uh, I started DJing for the Nature Kids, this mainstream like hip hop rock band. And uh, he, yeah, he he said some he said something one time. He's like, yeah, these white MCs, you know, I held mine down. These white MCs got booed off the stage. Yada yada yada. He was talking about on Drew's show, and I'm just like, oh yeah, I was there. I was there. <laughs> um, so yeah, so man, do you, that guy so was, you stuck around guy. for Tribe though? I remember we left. We we I think either. Because one, I think probably it was a Sunday night, so I had to get back to, to working at the church, and I'm sure Golden Child had to get back to school. So I yeah. know we drove we drove home that night, but we certainly probably just left because I felt like the crowd was getting so dangerous that like we could potentially catch you know some some physical violence. And I remember feeling like, well, I certainly can't go back into the crowd and watch Tribe, and it's a three and a half hour drive home. So I remember we just got in the car like super depressed. Do you remember that? Like, I was like, hey, man, we're just going to go ahead and go. Yeah, I, we've all had that feeling of being performers. For sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, it's just like when you know, it's like you put your heart and soul into something and it just doesn't go off and receive very well. I mean, you guys think we're yeah. pastors still, too. I mean, you know, they've been praying. And right. normally, you know, and that's that's the, that's the beauty of being a pastor. If you're really hearing from the Lord, then, you know, people are going to receive it. But if it's just a pastor-fed message, you know what I mean? It's kind of like... uh that was depressing. Yeah. No one received anything. There's no life. But yeah, I, I, I understand that. I mean, I, I've been there many, many a times and uh, really felt bad for artists that I've worked with from the management perspective. I feel like complete garbage. Like, man, what happened? You know? Right. Well, I think the, the great thing about this whole story is there actually is a, a, a rainbow after the, <laughs> after the storm is that venue became a Christian club. Yeah. A couple yeah. years later. So the venue was called the Embassy, uh, which was pretty, you know, it was pretty infamous for for bringing through hip hop. But, you know, flash forward just really a couple years for me, I get my first record deal, I'm touring. And then probably around 02, 03, 04, you know, things really start taking off for me. And I remember getting a show offer in Orlando and it said Last Wave Club. And I thought, Last Wave Club? Like, what is this place? 
And I'm, I don't know if I either hit you up or I hit somebody up, was like, yo, what's what's the deal with the spot? And you were actually working at the last wave, correct, at that point? Yeah, I mean, that was a really <clears> – <throat> as one of these dark ages in my walk. I was playing a mainstream band, and it kind of – so much, like, happened in that time. So I, it was kind of like I – it was like my comeback, it, you know, to Christ. You know, I started working at this place called House of Hope, <clears throat> which they launched the last wave. And um, and the, the crazy thing about it was just very <clears> – <throat> it was a very new concept from – very religious organization that didn't really understand what they were getting into. Because, I mean, people had been shot in that club and killed. I think it was like three murders in that club. Oh, I didn't uh, know that. Prior prior to that, yeah. Um, so it was just like a rough, real rough part. And actually, you know, when I started working, I lived down the street. I was probably like five, ten minutes from there. But, uh, yeah, it, it, was, it, was, it, was, it was really different. But I just – I think that area and just Orlando, and you know this, you know, when you do like a lot of Christian stuff, I mean – Besides Night of Joy and Rock Universe, they keep everybody out of Orlando. It's just a really strange market to tour in, you know. Right. Um, and even from a mainstream perspective, it's just weird. A lot of you know, a lot of acts. If you don't go to House of Blues or Hard Rock Live, I mean, you just doing these smaller venues like some of these indie bands. I mean, they pull out and have 400 people like downtown Orlando, or whatever. But it's just a weird, strange market. But the the Christian Club, same principle. I mean, it was just really tough to get off the ground and. It was a beautiful venue and all that all that great stuff, but it just it just never really flew. Um, right. But uh, yeah, Pastor Frank eventually took over. I remember I was working. I was helping book the bands and stuff and helping out because I started working for like Jeff Hansen Creek Management Company and working with those guys and uh, doing all that. But uh, I was working there too, and I just remember the funny story with that is just like that place just has really strange memories for me because there's a lady working there. And uh, I don't know, just, you know, you ever been in those positions where someone wasn't right in a club, you know what I mean? And they shouldn't be there. But this lady was working there and she just was so hard and very difficult to work with. And we got in it to one time and I started crying because I'm a real emotional guy. I started crying because I was so like cut up with all the the junk, you know. And then what was funny, (laughs) funny was, if you know, Pastor Frank, and I know you do, he he pulled me aside and goes, hey, bro, uh, you cry in there like he's making me feel bad i'm like i was like yeah man i go i just i can't i can't deal with this stuff anymore this is just this is this is too stressful because when you're trying to do ministry and and, you, and i was always looking out for bands and stuff and i wasn't getting what i needed for the band to make him feel welcome it was frustrating so uh, he goes did you cry in there and i was like yeah man he goes don't feel bad bro i cried too <laughs> <laughs> well were you, were, you, were you working there when when i got booked because I know I played there at least a couple times. I remember the, probably the biggest show I ever did in Florida was there from a from a hard ticket. Were you, were you still working there when I played there? I don't know. I can't remember. I remember you came in one time. Maybe I was there. I, and because I, I I left shortly after. Pastor Frank took over, and I stayed there a little while. And then um, I just I I left the uh, that side of things altogether. And I was you know pretty much like Jeff Hansen doing management stuff uh, gotcha. outside of there, but. Yeah, I mean, well, they had some good shows there, man. Well, the irony, again, of, of all this is that, you know, it, it comes under a new name, it becomes a new venue, and I don't put two and two together. So I'm just thinking, hey, you're playing this Christian club venue in Orlando, and my experience with Christian clubs is that they never really lasted. They were they were always great ideas, but then within like a month or two months or a year, they were all out of business. But 
I remember playing there at one particular show. It was like the one time I opened up or the one time I headlined. And someone said to me, like, you know, this used to be the embassy. And I kind of looked around and I'm like, wait a second. This is a, this is a place where I got thrown off the stage. Like, you know, yeah. it would have been probably six, seven years prior. But all of a sudden it came rushing back and the stage just felt infinitely different to me. You know what I'm saying? Right. That time. And I stood there and I, and I remember going, wow. Like, who would think that within that span of time that I got thrown off the stage that I would be back, not only headline, you know, pack the venue out and be able to, you know, to essentially proclaim the gospel in the same place where I was thrown off the stage. And I, and I just was like, look at you, God, look at how you bring things full circle. And I just was like humbled by that moment. I think I remember I got, I got kind of emotional on stage, like, you know, because on one time, on one hand, it's like a PTSD. Yeah. <laughs> but on the other hand, you're like, man, God is such a redeemer. Like he takes the worst of the worst situations. And, you know, if you're willing to hang on, it's funny that you mentioned, I said, Jesus is Lord. I don't remember saying that, but I guess I, I'm assuming, I guess I did. And it's yeah. true, you know? So a couple of things I've realized through the whole situation is one, never do a beatbox when you open up a tribe called quest <laughs> two, if a man tells you to take your hat off, take your hat off. <laughs> Always. And uh never put yodeling in your rap songs. Never. And never say circle circle dot dot. Now I got my cootie shot. That's your <laughs> <laughs> I do. Well thank you, man. Appreciate it, bro. Have a great day. Thanks for having me. Right, later. Bye.